from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pokery edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Maisley. And we'll take talk about sports topics of local interest. We occasionally get into a national topic or two, very rarely two. We've got a gambling segment, which we're always happy to get to. And my favorite portion of the podcast, you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the Xverse and hit up Rick with the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. It can be on sports. It can be on non-sports. And we usually like the banner back and forth on those. It's my favorite part. We'll do that at the end of the podcast. And many of you can fast forward to that part of the podcast because I think it's your favorite portion of it as well. Rick, uh, we're doing this on a Reds day off, obviously, on a Thursday morning. We've got some Reds to get into where their playoff hopes are not completely dashed, but uh, they're deep in doo-doo at the moment. Bengals got a big win. Joe Burrow's calf is still a topic of conversation. we got some great college football to talk about. And honestly, a, a big game for UC and Kentucky over this coming weekend. Ohio State has the weekend off. So we got tons to get to. Let's get to it. We've got a lot. And I will say, for the sports bettors who live in Kentucky, Merry Christmas. It Today's is a great day. day. Today is the first day you can bet online, on the apps, on your phone. And I, I was already able to do that. It was pretty awesome. So a uh, life, life-changing experience for those of us in the Bluegrass State. Yes, indeedy. We'll start with the Bengals. They beat the Rams 19-16 to on Monday night. Despite the talk all week about will he or won't he play, Joe Burrow did start. He was 26-49 of 49 for 259 yards. With no touchdowns and an interception, Joe Mixon scored the Bengals' only touchdown in the win. So, Skinny, what do you make of the Bengals' staff letting Burrow drop back 40 to- 49 times? There's been a lot made, it out- made out of that this week. I'm curious to get your take. Technically, he dropped back 51 times because he was sacked on two other occasions. So, 50-plus pass attempts, two sacks added into the, into the mix. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they did that. I will say a lot of the stuff they did, did get it out of Joe's hands quickly. Um, you know, he was he, for a chunk of the game, he wasn't even hit. Now he did get sacked, as you mentioned, twice by Aaron Donald, one that made you for a second go, oh, dear Lord, is he going to get up from it? Um, but I thought they protected him as much as they could. I thought the offensive line did a nice job for the most part. But I will say this. I mean, that is the identity of this offense, right? It runs through Joe Burrow. And if you're going to have him up and you feel like he's healthy enough to play, you're going to probably run. It's, now, listen, it's, it's a compromise offense. It's, it's you know, not holding on to the ball very long. It's not taking very many deep shots. And Joe hasn't been very good, which we'll get to here in a minute. Um, you know, they even asked him at halftime on that little fake pitch where he rolled to the right and hit chase. Are you physically able to run that play? They said they had it up for a couple of weeks. He said he could. They picked the right time to run. It was a big gain. It set up a, a field goal um, that, that put him up by a full touchdown, 16 to nine. Yeah, I, I know it's a topic. I get it. But again, if you're going to have him up and you feel like he's good enough to perform and you can do some things to protect him, I, I honestly don't mind what they did. Yeah, I mean, I guess obviously the big concern there is if he's dropping back so often, there's the opportunity for him to get hit more. And that is a huge concern with the injury already being in play. But I also say, to your point about him getting rid of it so quickly and the way they were using the pass game, essentially it was like running the ball, just yeah. avoiding Aaron Donald while doing so, right? I mean, the, Joe Mixon has had some nice runs this year, has ran hard, I think, but overall the running game hasn't been very successful. I think this is just another way of kind of using the short game and trying to protect Burrow as much as possible while not just getting stuffed for a yard or two on every carry. 
Yeah. And, and again, I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, who is, what, what is this offense's identity? It's Joe Burrow standing in the, in the shotgun and surveying the field and making plays and you mix in a few runs. I, I'd like to see them lean on the run game more. I've, I've wanted that honestly from day one. I think they've underutilized it the first couple of weeks, especially that first game in the rain up in Cleveland, but that's, that's no offense, water under the bridge at this point. Um, you know, I thought they did some really creative stuff with motions. They stole a little bit of the Miami motion stuff, but Hey, it's a copycat league. I don't blame them for that. Uh, move Jamar Chase around. Um, Jamar Chase got, so he asked for more passes. He asked to be more involved and he was, and to his credit, he asked for it. And then he delivered on top of all that. And he made some contested catches, made that one ridiculous catch where Burrow threw it behind him over the middle. And he reached back to somehow get it, made a tippy toe catch on the sidelines, made a, ran a really good route on that, that bootleg play that, um, that Burrow hitting for 43 yards. So um, I, again, I thought they were creative in doing some of those things and, and getting guys open quickly. So Joe could get it out of his hands fast. I want to get back to Burrow's calf and where he's at in, in a second, but since you're on the topic of, chase and how they played overall do you think the offense is back on track after that game no it's not going to be on track until joe burrow can stand in the pocket and launch a few down the field and connect i mean ricky missed his first four passes on on uh, on monday night over 15 yards that that ran the streak to start this season think about this joe burrow is a really good deep ball thrower i think we'll agree with that correct yes he was over his first 16 this year on passes over 15 yards that's not because he suddenly has become a piece of garbage. That's because that calf is compromised. I don't know if you remember the one pass. I'm sure you do. It looked very Andy Dalton-esque where he went back. Chase made a double move. He launched it to the sidelines and Matt Sharping caught it. That route was not designed for Matt Sharping. And I think it was really Andy, or excuse me, I said Andy. I was a faux pas. Um, Burrow on that throw, you could tell he tried to get everything into without completely pushing off on that calf. And it just was a horrible looking throw. That's not him. And so this offense is going to be compromised to its full potential until he gets fully healthy. Yeah, it, uh, there's no question about that. They just don't have the deep passing game that they do when they're at their best. At the same time, I do think if you go back to some of what we saw last week and then what we saw in this game, they are starting to find some things and get it going. You mentioned the, the different motion with Chase, some of the stuff they're doing to get him open, and honest, quite honestly, just force-feeding him. I know it. It sounds very simple, but last year I went back after the Jets win, first game of the season, Bur- or first win of the season last year after they started on two, Burrow was talking about how it was important for the offense to force the issue, take at least one shot downfield per quarter, and he said something along the lines of, I have to give those guys a chance to make a play yep. at least once per quarter. And again, I understand that the deep ball isn't going to be the same right now because of his calf, but to some extent, I think all that game plan was last week is, Let's just make sure we force the ball to the best player on the field as much as possible. And from my perspective, that's where I get frustrated about the first two weeks. I don't think Zach Taylor needs to be questioned as a play caller or should should have that title stripped from him. I don't think Brian Callahan and this Bengals coaching staff don't know how to put together an offensive game plan. But I do wonder why at the beginning of both the last two seasons, they have to remember – to force feed Jamar Chase. That just doesn't make sense to me. They sit there and they're like, well, they're, he's bracketed. They're taking him away. No kidding. It's going to be that way every game that he plays for the rest of his career. Just give him the damn ball. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna completely toss week one. Your point's not invalid. I I, I don't disagree with, with, with the premise of it, but I'm going to toss week one because of the rain, because of Joe's inaccuracy. I mean, you remember how many times guys ran go routes and he's throwing back shoulders, how many times guys stopped at back shoulders and he's throwing go routes, and it looked like a complete and utter mess. The bulk 
Baltimore more game, I will say, you know, you go back and and I know the coaches bristle at this and they are correct. It is a fact. I mean, they only had three first half possessions. If you remember the very first possession got derailed by a holding penalty and then Irv Smith couldn't quite get the ball in bounds. Second one, they just went three and out. And then the third one, they had a pretty good drive for a field goal. Then remember the second half, they clicked. I did ask Brian Callahan yesterday. Um, we, we got a chance to talk to him a little bit about, are you guys using the first half to kind of feel out what can Joe do? What can he, what can he do from a health perspective? Cause it feels like, not even feels like if you look at how these games evolved, when the second half came along, the offense really started to click. And I just wonder if maybe for them it's, hey, if he's up, let's just do it, as opposed to, all right, what can he do, what can he do? As I mentioned, they went into halftime, had that play to chase in mind, but had to go to Burrow and go, hey, are you physically capable of doing this because you're going to have to do some sort of role? And he said, yeah, I'm good, I'll do it. So I just wonder, as we move through this a little bit and the weeks start piling up, if they just don't say, you know what, maybe he can't throw the deep ball as much as we would like, but let's just run our offense as is in the first half and not feel out where he's at. I think all of that sounds right. I think it is accurate. But I'll also say this falls in line with the Zach Taylor era. That felt very much like a yeah. Zach Taylor era win. And your point about the second halves and figuring out what works and what doesn't, and even just the defensive side of the ball. How many times the last two years have we talked about adjustments? And it's not really them making a bunch of adjustments, but there is something to be said about they seem to really shut teams down in the second half of these games. That was kind of what we saw this past week. It felt very much like the successful way. It hasn't always been Joe Burrow scoring 40 points when the Bengals are successful. There have been a lot of games where the offense struggles for two and a half, three quarters, and then get going at the end and they come back and win the game and the defense holds enough. So, I mean, I think that win this past week felt very much like Zach Taylor era football. And I'm, I'm good with that. Um, But to your point, it, it is a little, or to what I said earlier, it is a little frustrating that, they have to say things like, yeah, I had to give Jamar a chance this week. I knew I had to force feed him. It's like, that should be every week. Just pencil that in. When you start the season, we're going to force feed Jamar Chase. We don't need three weeks to figure that out. Yeah, I I truly think what they want to do on offense, and I truly think what Joe wants to do, and you're right, he actually told Jamar, you're going to get a lot of targets tonight, man. So they obviously had that plan in mind, is – Joe Burrow in the shotgun and 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 looking over the field and going to where where the the progression takes him where the coverage takes him and I think he does like distributing it all over the field to people but to your point on Monday night there's no question they made a conscious decision to get it to Jamar Chase it was the right one especially in lieu of the way T Higgins played uh, with with drops I don't think that's that's anything to be alarmed about but that night it was one of those at some point you can't keep throwing the ball to a guy who's dropping it for goodness sakes and so you know early on remember a couple of early shots went to Tyler Boyd because that's where the coverage dictated and then they all of a sudden you know they moved Chase into the slot some and got favorable matchups and I'd like to see them do that more and if if, if it requires um, you know Tyler Boyd going out wide instead of being in the slot and Chase is the one getting the mismatch give it to me because that is you're right that's the best guy on your offense um, you need to get him that many targets and close to that many touches every single game. Yeah, and I know all the, the YouTube experts who break down the film will tell you they've been running Chase on some other types of routes over the middles and just, just haven't been able to get it to him right. in the first few games like they did in this one. But they also were just more creative in this game, motioning him more, doing some different things. It's like it was very clear that they decided in this game, we have to do yes. something to get Jamar going. And I, that is frustrating to me that it took two games of losing to be like, oh, we've got to do something creative with Jamar. It's like, man, that is that is such a weapon. I, I know I'm beating a dead horse at this point. I've said it 15 times. Well, but- to, 
to your to your point on the defense too, Rick, you know, they did get a chance to finally play with a lead. There's no question that the Rams offensive line was compromised by injuries, but welcome to the NFL. Um, and you saw what that line finally could do with a lead. And and boy, I mean, it felt like every snap, he only had two sacks, but it felt like he had eight. It felt like literally every play, here came Trey Hendrickson. And 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 Matthew Stafford realized that the clock in his head realized I gotta either get rid of this thing or I'm gonna get dumped. And they were and they had a chance to eat. I do think that defensive performance is something to really build on because I think that unit needed the confidence boost. After the game, Trey, uh, I asked Trey a question about that. I said, did you guys need something like this? And he said, you know, we needed an ego check. And, and I asked Lou in a room of that yesterday. I said, what do you think he really meant by that? And he said, well, you know, sometimes I just think that we've done some things where you think you can just roll out on the field and automatically do it. And he said, you know, week one, I thought we were good week two. We did get punched in the mouth and maybe we did need to clean up some things that we did. So I do think if you can hang your hat on something, I think some of the, the way the defense played Logan Wilson, making plays Dax Hill making plays, although he had a bl- couple of blown coverages late in that game that allowed that, that last touchdown. But I, I think there was a lot off that defense that you go, okay, if this is how you got to win some games until Joe Burrow gets his calf back, I'm okay with it. It's not going to be what you'd like of scoring 34 points, but if you're just going to hold the opposition under 20, this offense is still going to win you plenty of games. Yeah. And how many times over the last two years has that been what's gotten this team through, especially in important games and, and big situations? It's been Lou Anarumo and that defense. So it was really good to see him get that group back on track because they weren't the same team through the first two games that they had been last year, obviously. So uh, Skinny, let's go back yep. to Burroughs calf though. Where do you think he's at? going forward now he got through that one game they got the win but this thing isn't going away no he admitted he was sore on on uh on tuesday and and a little bit sore yesterday he did take part in in the walkthrough yesterday as a full participant for whatever that means i mean it was a walkthrough so um i don't think you test your calf a ton in a walkthrough um i would guess we're taping this on the thursday morning they do have a full regular practice today i would bet he will be limited or maybe even given the whole day off I'm going to lean towards limited because that at least let him do some position drill stuff, um, but probably nothing in the team portion of it. Then Friday back to the walkthrough. And I think as we go through this, it's literally Joe even said, I need my reps, but I think right now the recovery from the injury is the most important thing, especially on a short week. I truly think at least until we get through the bye week and I'm only surmising here, as long as he's able to keep playing that, that first Wednesday practice, you'll have Joe Burrow take the full day off. He'll come back the next day on the Thursday practice, probably be limited, go through the walkthrough, play the game. And maybe that ramps up a little bit in the, you know, later towards the bye, maybe Seattle week where it, he's gotten through some more weeks with it feeling okay that maybe then he starts participating in more practice. But I think for right now, it is literally manage this injury at least through the bye and get him ready to play on Sunday and not push things in practice. Something that I thought was a bit crazy this past week was the amount Travis of. Travis and Taylor Swift? Somehow I thought we would be the one podcast that wouldn't bring that up, but lo and <laughs> yeah, behold. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but no, I uh, I just think there were a lot of people talking about Burrow should sit out that game on Monday night. With the I, Bengals I being 0-2. I, yeah, I think I was that was that crazy. I, I, trust me, Rick, I was in that camp. I thought but, for the long me, term. Here's the thing, though. Now, I will tell you this. Now, now hear, hear me out, because we're never going to know the answer to this, so I'm not going to be right, and you're not going to be right. Sure. We don't, could Jake Browning have gotten you 19 points? Maybe. I, I, maybe maybe he gets you none, and maybe he costs you two touchdowns, too. So, again, I'm totally hypothetical here. My opinion is that there is no comparison to Burrow at 60 to 70% versus Jake Browning, who's Agreed. never played in a in, in But a I'm opinion. asking you, could, could Jake Browning have gotten you 19 points? Potentially. And potentially I, he could get you three. 
I, like you said, we're not going to have an answer to that. I don't think he could. And quite honestly, just in just the thought process here of, oh, uh, a compromised Burrow and Jake Browning could be like the same thing, or maybe Browning could even be better. To me, that's insane talk. I don't think you yeah, feel I like you have think, any I, chance yeah, of winning not, that game with Jake Browning. Yeah, that's not my point. My point is, again, I, you know, could you get 19 points with Jake Browning? That's all. And again, I, I'm not here to tell you a compromised Joe Burrow versus a fully healthy Jake Browning. There is, you're right, there is no comparison. Bottom line is, he tested it enough to feel like he could get through the game, and he got through the game. And, okay, that's the big step one because – I guarantee you the dude was in some pain, but you didn't seem noticeably hobbling around. Again, he was compromised in the way he could throw the football, and we saw it on that deep pass to Max Sharping um, on the sideline, for goodness sakes. But if he can manage through this, you don't need a ton of offense to beat Tennessee. You're probably not going to need a ton of offense to beat Arizona. So if he can manage you through this, knowing what he's going to give you and the fact that he's going to probably play fairly mistake-free football, I'm good with that. Again, I was in the camp of sit him for long-term health. But now that he's gone through this, okay, I'm, I'm going to just hold my breath and watch it. Here's the part I just don't understand. We're talking about soft tissue injury, right? So it's really about the pain threshold that that person can tolerate. And we don't Correct. know where he's at. None of us have an idea. Right. The amount of people who are like, the Bengals are, you know, do, doing Joe Burrow in this organization an injustice by playing him on Monday night. It's like, how the hell would you know that? You don't know. Well, that. And, and, it might be fine. This all might be a smoke. Now, obviously, we know it's not, that's not yeah. the case now after yeah. seeing him. But like he could have been feeling great and was full 90 percent of the way there. And yet people were like, you should sit him out. If you sit him out and you lose that game, the season's over. And he's not that. coming back I mean, from 0 three. I mean, he, he, I think he had the money quote of the night on Monday night. And that was, you know, he weighed the risk of, of playing through the injury versus the risk of this team going 0 and three. And he decided it was worth the risk of playing. I'm just very thankful he was the one doing that and weighing those risks versus a lot of people here in town. To me, that's it's nuts to think we should just punt on the season if Joe Burrow himself, who's the one dealing with the injury, thinks he might be able to go out there and play and win the game, which he did. Now the season is back on. Now you still feel like you have a chance. If you get to 3-3 three <laughs> and three or something over the next few weeks, you feel great about where you're at. Yeah, and, and, and the four and two at the bye potential is still very much there. And Rick, if, if you remember when we did the when I did the preseason prediction thing, I, I I had my swing game category, my likely win category, my likely loss category. Well, the first two games were swing games. They lost those. I said I, you know, the way I predicted the record of eleven and six was go four and three in the swing games. Well, they were zero and two in swing games. They're one and zero in likely wins. This is another one that was a swing game coming up with Tennessee. Uh, Arizona, I had in the likely win category, and the Seattle game I had as a swing game. So can you now even that swing game record up at 2-2? Two and two? I mean, if this team somehow squeaks through to 4-2 and two at the bye week and get another full week of Joe Burrow getting healthy, then it's game back on to, to, to work on whatever high seed possibility you're hoping this team can get. Yeah, you feel absolutely great about it. And I understand there are some significant downsides to running out an injured Joe Burrow. If, God forbid, something like the Aaron Rodgers thing did happen and he then blew his Achilles – now you're really regretting that. So I, I'm not saying there isn't a downside to running him out there while he's injured. I was just shocked at the amount of people who were willing to make that decision for him in the Bengals and just punt on this entire season, essentially saying, yeah, we're good. We'll just put it in the hands of Jake Browning and so be it, regardless of where Joe's at right now. That never made sense to me. And I think it's even crazier that after the win, people are still thinking they should sit Burrow out for the next couple of games before the bye week. I just don't get that. Yeah, I, I will say I, I think they were concerned enough about the injury to keep to bring Reed Sinnott and keep him active and have three quarterbacks active on Monday. They could not use him as that emergency third quarterback, that new rule, because you have to be on the 53-man roster. So they literally – they were actually playing kind of a man down, if you will, um, because that 
that actually cost Trent Irwin a roster spot on Monday. So I asked Zach yesterday if they're going to do that moving forward, and he said, yeah, I don't have to make that decision yet. So that'll be interesting to see if each week they're keeping three quarterbacks active. That would mean to me that they really still are a little nervous about, you know, one play and he's hurt, and then all you've got is one quarterback up for that game. Um, I think the time you see maybe it go back to the two quarterbacks active, then you can probably think to yourself, okay, he maybe is almost close to full health or is it full health at this point? Yeah, Skinny, we're going to talk more about the Titans matchup, which is Sunday at 1 coming up in our betting segment. But are there any other thoughts that you have? You've been obviously at Pecor Stadium in the yeah. press conference this week. I didn't write this, and I probably won't get to write until my storylines uh, for the game on Saturday because of, of the punter battle, the, the punter for, for – uh, uh, for Tennessee is ridiculous. He averaged 53 yards a punt last year. He's averaging 52 yards this year. But Brad Robbins has to be better, yes? Yes. That's a problem. I mean, I, sure. I, how much how much concern is there on the Bengals' side? Do they feel like this I, is just rookie jitters or something, or is there a real little concern? Bit. I mean, I, I will say he did hit two 46-yarders that were not returned, but then he also hit a 34-yarder, and you just haven't seen him get into one yet. It feels like he hasn't had a clean, spiraled punt yet, it feels like. And it, it – it hasn't cost them to this point. I mean, he did have a couple where he could have flipped the field in Cleveland, but at the end of the day, they weren't going to score any points anyway. Um, the Baltimore game, it really – he didn't punt a whole lot. I don't think he even punted at all in the second half of that game. But there was some – on Monday night where that was obviously a field goal battle for a chunk of it, and you needed some big-time punts, and you really never got it from him. And one game's one thing. One, one, you know, one game in the rain is one thing. I took that as a one-off. And then it wasn't great against Baltimore. It wasn't horrible, but – Again, on Monday, wasn't great again. And at what point do you say, um, we need to start looking somewhere else for this? Well, hey, Drew Chrisman is still in Cincinnati. He's becoming a social media influencer. He's riding his bike around and delivering Uber Eats to the city. And he's still training. I've seen that all on his social media. So, so it's, it's, it's funny. He's he's actually serving as a as a uh, not a game analyst because they don't have the game, but but a post-game analyst for Spectrum One. Yeah, like and public it's access funny, or something. Yeah, and we were in the media room having lunch or having dinner on Monday night, and he was having dinner with the Spectrum cronies behind us. I said, wonder if he knows he's going to be punting in a couple of weeks. I mean, so there he is. He's up there in a suit and tie, and he may be the punter in a couple of weeks for all we know. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's not vengeful like me. But you have to think he's just sitting there watching these first three games going, really? Really? Cut me for this guy? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good call. All right, let's move on to the Reds here. The Reds aren't quite dead yet as we record this on Thursday morning, but they've at least got a foot in the grave as they're two games back of the Cubs in the wild card race with three games left in the season. We'll uh, we'll save the post-mortem for next Actually, week. just a game and a half. Oh, really? What did I... Oh, did the Cubs, Cubs must have lost later last night after I uh, looked at that. I don't know. Um, but we'll, there are a few topics I wanted to get your thoughts on. What did you think of the home season finale and the uncertain Joey Votto send off this weekend? I thought the fans obviously recognized that that might be it. And that was nice to see. And I think he appreciated that in case it is it. And I do think that probably is it. Rick, he has not played well. He's had some okay moments, right? Um, uh, but I, I think he even realizes he's not as productive as, as he'd like to be. And it never really came back around for him this year. So what makes us think that another year getting older is going to change any of that, right? 
Yeah, and I, I see people still talking about the potential for him to sign like a, a one-year deal or something like that. I don't know. The way – I thought there was maybe a possibility for it just because of the way they were handling all of this and the fact that there wasn't a little bit more uh, circumstance to it. But I think the player staying in the dugout to watch his post-game interview with Jim Day and the way David Bell was watching it and had that goofy smile on his face kind of signaled this – these guys think it's the end. I mean, they, they think that's the last time they're going to see Joey Votto talk to the fan base. So um, I thought it was the, the ovation when he came up to bat was cool. The fact that he got the hit was, was a really cool way for him to end it at uh, GABP. If this is all for Joey Votto's career. And, and quite honestly, it kind of feels like it should be. I, w- I wish there was a little bit more of a send off <laughs> for him. That felt like, because it was as part of this race and they, they were still competing and he hasn't really said that, yeah, I'm done. It wasn't a full retirement game or a full send off, but it was still cool. Yeah, because I, I, I got to be honest. I mean, in a in a if, if this is a healthy team to start next year, where does he even fit in? I mean, you're going to try to fit. Encarnacion Strand needs every day at bats. Steer needs every day at bats. McLean needs every day at bats. De La Cruz, Marte, Fraley, Friedel, Will Benson. I think I would hit over him at the moment. I, I, I I'm I'm up to eight without the catcher. So where does he fit into the mix? Well, he definitely wouldn't be a starter. I think the the concern I have is if he is on that bench, I'm way too worried about David Bell doing the platoon thing and saying, oh, there's a writer. We can't play CES. We got to put Votto up there at the first base. CES has to have 550 at-bats next year. Yes, 100% agreed. So I am totally fine with Votto not being on the roster for that reason, if nothing else. Uh, But I guess that is the only thought is you have someone on the other side of the plate of CES to to play the matchup, which – Concerns me. I don't. I don't really like that because I think David Bell does too much of that. As yeah, but, no, I mean, if, if that's the case, if you want to do that, put Steer at first base for a day. And let Fraley be the DH instead. I, I, like I said you got you got enough left-handed bats to mix into the equation. If that's the case, yes. Skinny, are you worried about Andrew Abbott? He only completed five innings in one of his last seven starts. He gave up three runs in just two and a third innings on Wednesday. No, not not long term. I, I do think he's run out of gas. And I think if in a perfect world, if they weren't in a playoff race and they weren't so compromised uh, from a health perspective in the rotation, they probably would have shut him down by now. But because they're in a playoff race and they don't have an abundance of arms because of all the injury situations and whatnot, I, I think they had to force feed him. And, and to his credit, he's at least taken the ball and tried his best. But I truly think he's just flat run out of gas. Yeah, I, I will say it doesn't make you feel great about him taking the ball in, in the playoffs had they made it. No, know? right. I mean, I don't know that they had much of a shot had they gotten there. Yeah, I, I will say the Hunter Green start was really disappointing, and they overcame it with the bats. But that was especially coming off the one from last week where that looked like, oh, man, look at the step forward this cat just took in a big game. Yeah, so what do you make of the close of the season for Green? Because he came back and pitched in seven games after his injury. The first two were terrible. Three of the next four starts were pretty darn good, including a game with 14 strikeouts and a walk in seven innings that you were just referencing. And the other start of the four was okay. And then he came back out on Tuesday and was absolutely terrible. Uh, gave up seven runs, allowed three homers and three innings. Where where are you at on the $50 million man, Hunter Green? I, I'm still bullish on him because the, the upside is just ridiculous. The stuff is electric when it's right. He just – and this is easier said than done. He's got to figure out a way to refine consistency and, and, and continue to rely on – it's been a broken record of the whole laughing it off of, of he's, he's developing a changeup. Well, okay, if we're going to – let's use it, all right? Let, let, 
enough's enough. It's time to, 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 to use that pitch more and refine it. Um, because again, he's got a chance to not just be a really good starting pitcher, but we, we've seen the flashes of it, a dominant starting pitcher. Yeah. I mean, that 14 strikeouts and a walk and seven, Effortless. Last week, it was unbelievable watching him. And, and I even tweeted out at the time, this is why the $50 million contract made tons of sense at the time yeah. and could still end up being a, a great bargain for the Reds. But there is so much inconsistency there. And, and I agree. He's coming off an injury, trying to get back on the floor at the end of the season. It's probably not easy for him, so I don't think that's a, a good stretch to judge him off of. But at the same time, that's kind of been the way his whole career has gone to this point. Right. He'll give that's you right. those brilliant flashes, then he gives you those blow-up games. It's like, look, can you just get away from the games where you're giving up three or four homers in a couple of innings? If you can get eliminate those, everyone has their bad outings. But when you do that, it's concerning. It makes us feel like, Maybe it's not going to work out with you, you know. Like let's let's eliminate those gas can games. By the way, as you mentioned, it is one and a half, Rick. I just double checked. I thought yeah. that was right. Yeah, um, but anyway, and they don't. Obviously, the Reds don't play as we're doing this podcast. Both the Marlins and Cubs do. So in theory, uh, if in a perfect world, if both the Marlins and Cubs lose on Thursday, the Reds will be uh, a game behind both. They they both would be tied. A game behind both um, heading into the weekend. That's not impossible. Although you're trying to battle two teams in that, you need those teams to lose, and you're going to probably have to at least win two of three, if not sweep. It will be disappointing if we look up at the end of this and they finish one game out of this with those three blown games in the row, the Twins game, the Friday night game, and certainly the 9 nothing game on Saturday. Yeah, well, I mean, there are games like that, but then there are also so many games with this team where they came back from improbable deficits. and Almost and did it on Wednesday. Again, yeah. you know, Shane Bieber killed him for a while, and then bats came alive when he came out. They had a chance. I give Marte, that's what this team does. It tries to hustle into extra bases. He got thrown out, but almost pulled it off again on Wednesday. The big what if for me, and we'll probably talk more about this next week, is what would the, where would this team be if Graham Ashcraft was healthy, if Nick Lodolo yes. had been healthy? All year? It's just the amount of injuries. Matt key guys at the at key times. Yeah, Matt McClain is another huge what if. Th- those are the ones where it's like really if you're going to end up a game or a game and a half out of the wild card race, that stakes because those guys were definitely good enough to give you that lift. Especially the way Ashcraft was pitching at the time of his injury. Yeah. Agreed. All right, let's move on to college football. Ohio State beat Notre Dame and what was I don't know if it was necessarily the most exciting game, but it was a great finish at the end. Uh, Ohio State moved up two spots, to number four. Notre Dame dropped two spots to number eleven. Skinny, give me your thoughts on on what happened there in that Ohio State Notre Dame game because I know we talked a little bit right after the game went final, and and uh, both of us were pretty fired up about it. You won't call my team soft. We're we're, we're all about Ohio. We're Ohio. Thank you, Ryan Day. Yeah. Um, well, I will say Marcus Freeman's stupidity out Trump Ryan Day's stupidity. So good for him. I mean, that, that was that was great. I, I still don't understand Ryan Day not using the timeout defensively. It, it, again, it worked out beautifully. They won the game on the last play. But, um, you know, there's an old adage. and It's not even an adage. It's true. You have control of stopping the clock on offense. You don't have control of stopping the clock on defense other than using a timeout. I'm stunned he didn't use that last timeout. But then Marcus Freeman's stupidity, allowing a pass play to be called, even if it was a, a, a safe play, a screen. Again, why just run the football, make them use all their timeouts, use as much time as possible. Your defense has played great all night. Give them as few seconds as possible to get down the field. And instead, you, you gave them a gift of, of a stopped clock there. And then, of course, the stupidity of stupidity, 10 men on the field for two plays. And then to say, well, we didn't have time to run a guy on. Hey, listen, I get it. You didn't want to move them, you know, a half a yard closer to the goal line. 
I will trade the half a yard closer to the goal line to have all 11 guys on defense, dude. Yes. Yeah. And I just, it felt to me like both coaching staffs looked terrible in this game. This was not a good performance by either coaching staff. It felt like they were both playing not to lose, especially on yeah. Notre Dame's side. I was surprised that they didn't let Hartman throw the ball more than I agree with you. Times. Yes, wholeheartedly. The and style I, of play favored Ohio State. I, I will say, Ohio State's defense, is, it, this is four straight really good performances by that unit. And that's the that's the positive if you're an Ohio State fan moving forward is if you're going to continue to get that type of performance from your defense throughout the rest of this season, you certainly have a chance to run the table, at the very least lose a game and still get in the college football playoffs. So I think you can hang your hat on that. But, um, you know, at, at the bottom line to your point is I'm with you. I mean, you, that's what Sam Hartman's at Notre Dame for is let him let it rip. And, again, I know they're trying to balance to have balance, and that's a big – they run the ball usually pretty well, but – um, you know, it was a hard time moving the football on the ground. They had a few good runs and a few okay runs, but Sam Hartman should have probably thrown the ball 35 to 40 times in that game, the way it developed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Look, again, and it kind of goes back to like the Jamar Chasley, but like when you have the best players at the premium positions, you let them make plays in big games. And it's like, you're going to take the, the advantage you had this year was you had the better quarterback finally. And you kind of limited him and didn't let him have the chance to go out and win this. You made it more of a defensive clock control, possession control game. And that was exactly what Ohio State wanted, in my opinion. I just – I didn't understand that by free. Yeah, and I Offensive coordinator. Yeah, sorry about that, Rick. Uh, I do wonder, you know, I'm I'm happy for Marcus Freeman that he wound up getting a job like Notre Dame, right? But would he have been better served being a head coach and cutting his teeth somewhere else initially? Because I always have thought – I think those close to UC's program, our friend friend Chad Brendel, has always been high on Marcus Freeman as a potential head coach. And I I, I was too, and I think – you know, if he'd stuck around UC and don't blame him for doing what he did, and he obviously landed one of the most lucrative jobs in the country yeah. um, and, and got paid more to go be the defensive coordinator there before he got that, that head coaching job. But, you know, for him to maybe cut his teeth at a UC before getting Notre Dame um, probably would have behooved him because that, that, that he looked way in over his head on, on, on Saturday night. I thought so too. And the, the thing is I, he has a defensive mind and that's yeah. what everyone talks about. So, the big concern for me is offensively what they're doing, and I don't know that that's his strength. So he needs to figure out who we can bring in there that can handle that side of things for him and then let that person take full control of it because I don't think they really have an idea of what they're doing right now yeah. on the offensive side. And, and also, Notre Dame's never going to beat one of the elite teams. I'm, 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 if they didn't do it this time, I'm out on them. They're never going to do it. And, that, and that's if they're going to get a couple more swings out, although really not – a bunch. I mean, Clemson's not a lead any longer. I guess they don't feel like it. They certainly haven't played like it. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, until you do it, you're right. You can't. You can't say that you're in that group now. I, I Saturday night was the perfect storm for them to to beat an elite. Keep yourself in the conversation of the college football playoff. It would have still given you wiggle room to lose a game between now and then. now. They can't lose another game, um, and they 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 probably will. Yeah, they're going to be like seventh to twelfth the rest of their right, right. lives. I mean, they're just not a top four team uh, that's just yeah. what it is uh, i they do need to be careful though because this is a letdown spot they have this week coming up against a tough duke team i i agree with you i i don't think this is going to be an easy spot for them at all coming off an emotional loss like that yeah. that feels like oh maybe the season's not what we thought it was going to be and then you play this duke team that has a ton of confidence they've just they smacked clemson in their opening game and they've just been rolling over the, the couple teams they've played since so keep an eye on that one uh kentucky skinny they beat vanderbilt 45 28 Number 22, Florida, is coming to Lexington this weekend. Two pick sixes by Maxwell Hairston was really the story of this Vanderbilt win. I, I, I see a lot of U.K. fans. I'm sure they're happy with the win, but a lot of complaints about 
the sloppy play. Devin Leary still threw two interceptions this, in this game. Are you concerned about Kentucky right now, or are you feeling like at some point maybe we're just expecting a little too much out of this group because they have won every game they've played by a uh, I mean, comfortably, it hasn't been. Really yeah, and, and they've covered they've covered three of those four games, and technically, actually, you know, for a lot of places, the Eastern Kentucky game is not even on the board, but that's the one game they didn't cover. Right. Yeah, it, it's a weird feeling because it it doesn't feel like a four zero that has you giddy moving forward because of the sloppy play and because it just feels like there's a lot of untapped potential in that offense still. Now, in defense of Devin Leary, one of those interceptions was tipped at the line of scrimmage, but neither here nor there. Um, he still threw two picks and he's thrown you know multiple interceptions this year, one in every game. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I still don't think they've leaned on the run game as much as I'd like them to lean on the run game. I, Ray Davis, again, popped some good runs. They had a good run from Juton McClain for a touchdown early in the game. And it, they also have kind of a three-headed monster at running back that I think you could get the ball 35 times, and I'd like to see them get a little bit more flow there. At the same time, even if you take the two pick sixes out of the equation, you still scored 31 points on the road. The pick sixes did take a couple of possessions away from your offense. I think that's been the weird thing they've had. A special teams touchdown. They've had a um, you know a couple of pick sixes. Now it feels like they haven't had they haven't gotten in a rhythm on offense yeah. for, for whatever reason. And and I thought the Vandy first half they did, and then it just felt like after that they they didn't. And at the end of the day, you look up and yeah, you can argue Vandy scores twenty eight. They scored a couple of touchdowns in garbage time when Kentucky probably had a little bit of a letdown. So I'm still really bullish on this team, but there's no question they have been sloppy. Yeah, a couple of things I wanted to hit on there that you mentioned. This was the first time, in terms of the run game that you were talking about, they haven't been running the ball a lot. This is the first time, hearing Mark Stoops after the game, that he seems a little bit frustrated by the inconsistency of the offense. And this was just me projecting a little bit or, or reading probably too much into it. But my guess is it's in part because he's given Cohen and this offense a lot of leash to throw the ball so much, and there has been the inconsistent play and the turnovers, and that's not the way he likes to play. He does, he does not like turnovers. He does not like uh, silliness. He wants to control the game and uh, and usually play more low scoring. So it it does seem like that maybe we'll we'll see them start to shift because the head coach wants to run the football a little bit more going forward. Is that the vibe you're getting? Uh, yeah, and, and I think you know, hey, inside that league, you know, it, it's 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 hard to be fairly one dimensional. It feels like that's kind of what they've been. I I, I mentioned it, and I, you know, I thought they they really didn't show their hand the first three games, and honestly, maybe they didn't against Vandy either. But at some point, you're going to have to, and you probably have to start this week. I mean, whatever you've got in the in the playbook, it all needs to come out uh, against Florida and moving forward because your schedule the rest of the way is a bear. One thing though that I, I think about this team, you kind of mentioned the upside that they have. That's where I would be excited as a Kentucky fan because a lot of times they'll have a slip-up early in the year before they get into SEC play and they have that garbage game where it kind of knocks you off course. And they, they did. Eastern Kentucky was that game. They played that game, but they didn't lose it. And right. they've, you know, their average margin of victory is significant in all these wins. And like you said, they've, they've covered the spread in these games. So they've been able to do that, and yet there still is – some of their best players in, in terms of like the receivers haven't really gotten on track yet. It seems like there's still a lot of upside for this team. If they can clean up some of the silly mistakes and some of the turnovers, that would have me excited as a Kentucky fan because they have had as much success already without cleaning up any of those things. If they do focus in a little bit and, and the turnovers in my opinion are a big deal because in the sec, you're just not winning games as a Kentucky if you turn the ball over consistently, no do you think that's a real concern or do you think that's just them getting on the same page early with Leary's interceptions? No, I think it is a real concern. I think to your point of Mark Stoops, um, 
I, I think if you gave him a perfect score, he'd, he'd beat teams 20 to 17. I, and that's not a knock. I mean, I think he, listen, I think that's a really good defense. I think he knows it's a really good defense. So don't put that defense in bad positions. Let them, you know, make a team drive the field on you. And at the same time, you do have that big play potential where you are going to have to take some risks and you are going to have to take some shots and you should. But I think that's the yin and the yang of this, of you've got all these dudes on the outside that can really run, but they don't run consistent routes. They don't catch consistently. Leary's still trying to feel them out. Um, you know, you, you do have a run game you'd like to lean on, but at the same time, you got Devin Leary in here for a reason. You want to show future quarterbacks. We're willing to let you let it rip. And I think it's one of the reasons they got Will Levis. And it's one of the reasons they got a, 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 a four-star recruit in, in a couple of years. They got Cutter Bowley from, from Lexington. I mean, they've, they've got quarterbacks in the pipeline. And obviously they got Leary to transfer because he saw what Liam Cohen did with, um, with Will Levis. And so what an opportunity for him. So you're in that yin and yang mode of, of, you know, I'd like to win games 20 to 17, but I got guys that are capable of putting up 30 on a lot of teams, even good teams. If we, if we, if we do things right. And, you know, some of them had a bunch of pre-snap penalties. They had a bunch of just sloppiness there. I think the line's done pretty well, um, but it is, it's a weird team to have watched through four games. And now it gets real with, with Florida coming in. Yeah. Opportunity to beat Florida three straight times Crazy. for the first time since 49 to 51, I think it is. Yeah. Is that yes. right? I, I mean, that's, that's right. That's just an insane stat for two let me, let me see, let me see young, every year. Let me see if young Rick Boring can name the coach of Kentucky from 1949 to 51. Absolutely zero shot. One of the most famous coaches in college football history, Bear Bryant. Ah, oh, damn. I should have known that. You're right. There you go. Uh, I, for, I actually forgot he was at UK. Um um, Cincinnati, let's finish up with them. They lost to number 14, Oklahoma, 20-6 to in a low-scoring affair. They'll play at BYU this Friday night in a late game after 10 o'clock. How do you categorize that Oklahoma loss for Cincinnati? Well, uh, you know, we, we've talked about how much we like this defense, right? And they came off that Miami game where they, they kind of laid an egg, although, again, the offense shot itself in the foot in the red zone a thousand times, and that, that was probably the crux of that loss. Yeah. But, you know, this was a defense we thought a lot of. They didn't have um, Deshaun Pace in this game. Um, so uh, that was kind of a loss. And, and uh, you know, they still were able to slow a very good Oklahoma offense down. I, I'm really bullish on Oklahoma, too, because I, I do think they're they're a really nice offensive team. I will say Brent Venables has, and he should have. That's why he was brought there from Clemson. He was the defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, he is that, – that defense last year was trash in his first year. And understandably so. It's his first year. It's not all his guys. He's trying to figure out a system and all that. That defense has done a complete 180, and it's really, really good. And in the Big 12, there's not a lot of really good defenses. So I think Oklahoma – that Oklahoma-Texas game, not to jump completely ahead, is going to, I think, be just terrific because they're both going to probably be undefeated at that point. It's only in a few weeks – um, and it's just going to be terrific. But, yeah, I thought UC's defense was great, and, and they kept them very much in the game. And then there's the case of my man, Emory Jones, and I'm just – I'm going to leave it at that. I mean, he, you know, the numbers overall look great. Go take the Eastern Kentucky game out and then come back and tell me what you think of Emory Jones. Well, the offensive line is a problem, too. It's it is not a all – you're, you're right, but it, it's not all on him. No, you're it's right. It's definitely the offensive line, too, because he – Because they want to run the ball, too. That's the thing. You think they want to run the ball with the three-headed monster at running back. And, yeah, if, if you're not – creating much push and, and, and that you're getting yourself in third and longs, unfortunately. And that's just not going to be the strength of Emory Jones. It's just not. And that's where I just wonder against the big 12 schedule, are they going to be able to hold up? Because they've shown some things this year and the defense actually looked like the defense we expected it to be this past yeah, week. I thought they were great. So I thought that was a really good sign, but then the struggles of the offensive line and not being able to get the offense going much at all, that is, 
that would have me a bit concerned as you get into the nitty gritty of the Big 12 schedule. Yeah, but I would say this too. I mean, they still got Iowa State and and, and Oklahoma State and Baylor and none of those. What, what I thought would be really tough games don't wow me any longer. Right. Well, and there's also the fact that, like you talked about, I mean, there aren't a lot of great defenses in the Big 12. So right. hopefully they will be able to get it on track against some teams that aren't Oklahoma. But uh, that that would be my takeaway. The defense, in a lot of ways, would have, would have me feeling great about a UC fan going, okay, this team is more like the team we expected them to be coming into the season and not you know the team that we saw against Miami of Ohio. The problem is the offensive line play and the offensive struggles as a whole would be a bit concerning given that you only scored six points. Agreed. All right, Skinny, let's get to our betting picks. Last week, you were 5-2-1. and one. Out of you were now 17 and 10 and 1 overall. I was uh, 4 3 and 1 last week, so I'm 13 14 and 1 overall. How did your parlay do? Uh, well, we, I didn't do a parlay because, well, I did. I uh, parlayed Kentucky and the over, and it obviously hit. We both <laughs> had Kentucky. Yeah. And I had Kentucky as my best bet of the week. Yeah, as our favorite bet. So uh, Ohio State has a bye this week. There's one game each day this weekend for the local team. So if you're a guy that just wants to check in on the local teams, this is set up perfectly for you. You got a late night Friday game for UC. You got the Saturday noon game with Kentucky. And then you got the Sunday at 1 p.m. for the Bengals. We'll start Friday night, 10 15. Cincinnati at BYU. The Bearcats are two point favorite. The total is 48. I love me Friday night football because I me usually too. go broadcast a high school game and I have to come back and for local12.com, I, I compile the high school football scoreboard. So I, I love having games on in the background to watch. I mean, I actually stayed up and watched some Air Force San Jose State last last Friday. I didn't stay up for the whole thing, but I stayed up for about two and a half quarters before I finally cashed. That's my fear about this Friday. I have to get up early. I'm driving with a buddy to Tennessee because we're going to play golf on the way to Nashville for the Bengals game on Saturday. Um, so I'm going to have to try to fight to stay awake for, for this game because I'm looking very forward to it. It's interesting, Rick. This opened as a BYU favorite of like two and a half points, and it has completely flipped. Yeah, I, I know BYU is dealing with a ton of injuries, but to me, with Keaton Slovis not being among those being hurt, the quarterback, I, I can't not not lean to BYU. A short week for UC, one less day, plus the trip. They're actually leaving uh, today on Thursday to go out there. So a very short week for them. Um, you know, this offense against anybody not named EKU hasn't done much for me. And they're going to go on the road. I, I just don't get this line. And maybe it is the injuries and maybe we'll show up in this game. But until Emory Jones shows he can do it consistently against a good team, I, I just can't pick them, especially on the road. I'm going to go BYU 27, UC 17. 17, so that would put us at 44 there on the yes. under. So you're BYU and the under. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I think this is a really tough spot for UC. It's not as much about the matchup against BYU, which I think is going to be a great game. I'm really excited for this one. I think these teams match up pretty well. But UC is in a tough spot here with the short week, the late Friday night game in a different time zone. It's just going to be weird. I never like those situations. I'm going BYU in the over 28 to 24. Why, why do you think that? Because the, obviously there's some sharps that have, that have come in on UC on this. Is it is it the injuries maybe? I assume so. And maybe I just don't know enough about BYU to realize that some of these injuries are more significant. But I'm with you. I mean, unless it was the quarterback right? That, that's going to be out, I don't really understand this line swinging that much. Um, 
maybe there's people that are higher on UC than we are for some reason. Yeah, and, and that's possible. I'm not too. sure what that is exactly. Well, and, and, and honestly, and sometimes it's recency bias. You look and you see saw what Oklahoma had done to teams, especially offensively, and you go, huh. Look what that defense just did, and, and maybe that's the point. I, I but again, I, again, all things considered, being equal, them on the road at a team that I think is pretty respectable, I, I just think it's a big ask. Yeah, I just think there's too much value on the side of BYU, and kind of feel that way about this next game too. Saturday at noon, we've got Florida at Kentucky. Kentucky is a one and a half point favorite. The total is forty four. Yeah, noon kickoffs are weird inside the SEC. I, I, I heard this the other day, and I don't have the empirical stat on it, but road teams actually have pretty good success on noon kickoffs in the SEC. And maybe it's because SEC partiers love those night games to get all liquored up and go crazy. Yeah. Um, Kentucky has to play at Georgia next week uh, in a night game. So that's a, a double whammy for them. It's a seven o'clock ESPN kickoff, but I just, listen, Florida, the win over Tennessee was good. Their defense has been really, even the first game against Utah. And I know Utah didn't have cam rising their starting quarterback, but really honestly, Florida's defense in that opener at Utah was, was really good. So it's been a consistent unit. But their offense has been really, really lackluster. The twenty-two-seven win over Charlotte. I can I can uh, uh, account for a little bit of a letdown coming off of Tennessee, but I just don't think Graham Mertz is any good. He has, he's a noodle arm. He doesn't have he doesn't push it down the field. They run it okay. Um, they have one dynamic playmaker on the outside. I think this Kentucky defense is really good. I think Kentucky wins a low-scoring game. I'll go Kentucky 20, 21-16. 16, So that is Kentucky in the under. Uh, That's more of my negativity towards floor. I just don't think they're very good offensively. I think Kentucky's, I, I think Kentucky's good enough against anybody other than Georgia, and I'm not so sure I can't be convinced they score 20 on Georgia if push comes to shove. Fair enough. I This one is tough because I definitely think Kentucky can win this game, but I'm also a little surprised that they are the favorite here um, like they are. And I, the fact that they beat them the last two years, it's just hard for me to believe that Florida is going to let Kentucky win three straight against them. Um, and again, I, I, I was at like two or two and a half earlier this week when I first saw it. Kentucky was a yeah. two-point favorite, I think. That I really liked. Cutting it down to one and a half, it's almost like saying, well, you think Florida's going to win outright. Whereas I feel like this is going to be a close game, a low-scoring game like you yep. said. So I was I was hoping to get those two points and take Florida. I'm going to get Florida 21, Kentucky 17. So Florida in the under for me. We're very similar on the score, just flipping who's winning yep. the game there. And Florida has not had a game go over yet this season. So yeah, because again, about their defense. Sucks and their defense has played pretty well. And I think yeah. the total in the in the Tennessee game was in the 60s, which, again, that's more because you thought Tennessee's offense was good. I just wonder if, if when we look back at this season as a whole, especially if Kentucky wins that game, if we don't overrate what Florida did against Tennessee, maybe that was more of an indictment on Tennessee than it was a pat on the back for Florida. We'll find I, out. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. And, and I mean – Florida is ranked right now uh, 22nd. So it's, you know, it's a little weird to see a ranked Florida team as an underdog at Kentucky, an unranked <laughs> Kentucky team. That is strange to see for me. Uh, Sunday at one o'clock, we've got the Bengals at the Titans. Bengals are a two and a half point favorite. The total is 40 and a half. Yeah, this this Tennessee team is just putrid offensively. They've had a hard time moving the football that, you know, the Derrick Henry ground and pound feels like it's grinding to a halt. Part of it is they're just not very good up front on the offensive line. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is not the receiver he used to be, and they can't seem to find one on the other side to go along with him. Uh, they thought Trey Burks was that guy and he has some flashes. Uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill is getting up there in age and, and, seems to show it. I mean, they're just a bad offense. And defensively, I love their front. I mean, they get a lot of pressure, and they've got 10 sacks. 
But that back end has given up tons of 20-plus and 40-plus yard pass plays. I think they're they're 26th in the NFL in yards per pass attempt uh, defensively. Uh, they're 28th in the league in passing yards allowed. So this should be a, a defense that Joe Burrow should have a chance to pick apart. At the same time, I think with that calf, it still becomes a slog fest a little bit. Um, the Bengals defense, I think, has a chance to have another good performance. So I'm going to go with the exact same score they just won by. I'm going to go Bengals 19-16 uh, over Tennessee. 1916. So you do have them just covering, and that will obviously be the under. Um, I'm with you on the Bengals and the under here. I'm going Bengals 23, Titans 17, and I'm expecting a close game that scores a six point spread. But I really like getting Bengals at two and a half. If it goes up to three, changes a little bit for me. I think I would stay away from it. But at two and a half, I really like the Bengals here. Yeah. All right. On some ask any anything. Hang on. You got a best bet of the week? I forgot to put one down here. What do you have? I got. I always love my fourteen. I, I forgot the fourteen NFL teaser last week. I just went all in on Kentucky, and it worked out well. But I got the fourteen NFL teaser for, for for this week for me. I'm going to take Indianapolis at home up to six and a half against the Rams. Short week for the Rams. They actually did stay. Actually, I'm taking back. They went back. They they did something weird. They came to Cincinnati, went all the way back to L.A. Sean McVay did some kind of I don't know wacky analytical research that shows guys sleeping in their own beds are better. Then they're going to go back to Indy. I think the Rams could win that game, but it would be a close game if they do. So I'm going to take Indy at home, getting six and a half. I'm going to take Philly down to, to one and a half against Washington at home. I'm going to take the Chargers down to basically a pick them at home against Vegas. Um, that, that team seems like a train wreck at the moment. Both of them do, but the Chargers somehow won despite Brandon Staley's stupidity. And then I'm going to take Dallas down to a pick them at home against New England. So there you go, my four-team NFL teaser of the week. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look at, look, I, there's just too many options now that you're legally allowed to bet in Kentucky yes. from the comforts of your own home that I just couldn't even come up with anything. That's what happened there. <laughs> Sensory overload, bro. Yeah, it really was. I was just looking into too many things, I guess. All right. Uh, ask any, anything. We've got a short round this time. If given full and unlimited power, how would skinny resolve conference realignment? Um, I would say that conferences can have no more than 10 teams in them. That's what, that's what, that would be my conference Ooh. realignment. I, I like the more the merrier. I love the old conference setups. These super mega conferences just seem so unwieldy to me. And as I've mentioned, and I think you'll agree with this, nobody thinks they're the one going two and 10 until you're the one going two and 10. And then you're trying to dig out of a hole. And that's, I, I just think that's a big, big ask for some of these teams, uh, in, in, especially on the football. Well, on both sides of things, for goodness sakes. It just feels just super, super. I used to love – that's why I love the Big East, Rick, and not not to, to, to tout what you cover, uh, but I love the double round-robin format. I think it's outstanding. I think that's that's the way it should be done is you play each other home and home, and then let's see who's the best in the league because of that. My basketball setup is the best. Horizon League plays a double round-robin, right. yes, and yeah. Big East does it, and I love both – leagues i mean they're so fun to watch they're very competitive both sides have a lot of like middling teams that are depth and beat have a lot of depth in the conference and beat up on each other so um yeah i love that i'm with you i think the biggest threat to college athletics as we know it is exactly what you're talking about fans losing interest because their team is on you don't hear from their team for a decade plus when they are you know have a losing record all of these years because they're in a super conference. Yes, they'll be playing big, meaningful games. Yes, they'll be getting tons of TV money, which you all think will help you recruit. But at the end of the day, if they just stink for a decade plus, people aren't going to care as much about it. And I think that is a real concern. Now, it's a long-term concern. It's going to take a, a sure. while for that to fall apart. But people getting all worked up about players getting paid and transfer portals and all these other things, 
I don't think those are real threats. I think those are what they want you to be worried about, what you want to be paying attention, what they want you to be paying attention to as they form all these mega conferences and really ruin the sport. I think that's the big concern. Yeah, and the smaller conferences were usually done geographically, and those were always that's what always made such great rivalries. They were all geographic rivals. It was great. Yeah, I, like, and that's part of it too. People always talk about, oh, you're going to lose all these rivalries with some of the traditional powers changing conferences. That part I don't think is really a concern. I mean, it's not well, I cool, do. but I don't think people are going to stop watching the sport because of that. And if you look at college basketball last year, we had a crazy Final Four with a ton of parity. If you look at college football this year, it's the first year in how many years that we've gotten this far into season, and we still really don't know who the number one best, right? or number two or yeah. number three team right. is. Like, we, it's tons of parity at the top right now. So all these things that everyone said is going to ruin the sport, haven't ruined it at all to this point. I mean, the, the, both college athletics are great right now in terms of entertainment value. I, I think, though, you're, the point that you brought up multiple times on here is the one to watch out for. It's, it's fans losing interest because their team stinks at the bottom of a super conference for too long. What's worse, Skinny, hospital food or airline food? Back in the day when, when so my mom and dad, for full disclosure, worked for the airlines. My mother worked for Delta in reservations. My dad was a communications director for American Airlines. So we got a chance to fly a lot as a kid. And that was back in the days of full service. And I used to love airline food back in those days. That was like, what are we talking about here? Salisbury steak? Yes. Yes. Salad with the, like a Greek, Greek goddess type dressing always on these flights. It was just outstanding. And it was just, I don't know. It was just, I loved it. I, I, I've never had an extended stay in a hospital, knock on wood. Um, so I've never had to really deal with hospital food, but it never looks appetizing. But then again, being in a hospital itself isn't very appetizing either. Yeah. Are we talking about strictly the stuff that they deliver to your room? Or are we talking that's about, if you go down, cause if you go down to the cafeteria at a hospital, it's like, I mean, oh, I've had some of that. that's okay. Yeah. You can get, it's just like being in a lunchroom. You can get that. Yeah, that's okay. that's I'm, terrible. I was just, yeah. I was assuming what, what the nurse or, or yeah, whatever the, the orderly would bring you. Yeah, I don't want bland stuff with yeah. some yeah. weird chicken and a, a two green bean. Correct. Yeah. Not. Yeah, I don't hear. I mean, airline food anymore. You got to buy the twelve dollar sandwich. No, thank you. I'm good. I just had a twelve dollar sandwich at, at at the airport lounge with a couple beers. So I'm 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 plenty good there. But back in the day, man, I'm telling you, when it was full service, a couple of times when I got a chance to fly first class when I was in my uh, in my early twenties, when I still was on on their their pad, I was allowed to get passes up to the age of twenty five. Couple first classes with some some free wine with with a nice little piece of Salisbury steak or whatever. Sign me up. I'm got. I'll fly just to eat it. What a great perk having parents that worked for airlines or having anyone that works for an airlines where you get free flights. I mean, that is a great perk to have from a job. It was other than the time we tried to come back from South Padre Island through the through the small Harlingen Airport. And the one thing is, if you are flying. Um, via that, you are flying what's called standby, which means you're flying when there are seats available. Uh, yep. We sat in the Harlingen Airport for a day and a half before we got a flight out. Yep, that was that was not the best, I will tell you. Not ideal. So I, my wife and I, our first vacation together was to South Padre Island. So you didn't fly into that little Brownsville Airport that's tiny? It's like no, two rooms? In, yeah, Har- yeah, Harlingen, Texas Airport was where it okay. was. Because, yeah, we flew into Brownsville, and it was the funniest airport I've ever – it was literally two rooms. And well, that's what this this airport was small. It was very tiny. Okay, yeah, that's that's how this one was. Uh, all right, uh, who was Skinny's favorite teacher growing up? Um, probably Mrs. Cole. And here's a funny story. So, a kid who played AAU basketball for me, his mother is a teacher, and when we were at the national tournament, um, 
the year in 2015 when we won it, we're having a meal and, and we start just talking. And I just, I can't remember how it casually came up in conversation. And I said, yeah, I had a great uh, speech teacher, Mrs. Cole. And she goes, Jenny Cole. I said, yeah, she goes, she goes, she's a colleague of mine. And I went, Oh my gosh, small world of small worlds. She goes, what made her such a good teacher? I said, well, I said, she once made me, well, it was actually didn't, didn't make me. It was an extemporaneous speech thing we had to do in class in like the seventh grade at Ackerman Junior High School. And I like I, I didn't think I'd be able to do it, but I, I guess I knocked it out of the park. And she talked me then into doing some speech club stuff where they would go to NKU and, and do that. And it got me very comfortable as a public speaker. And I said, you know, at the time I was pretty shy and it kind of got me out of that shell where I was able to say, yeah, I can speak in public. And I said, I thank you for that. Whoops. I think I went away for a second. I never got a chance to tell her thank you for that because she's the one that kind of got the ball rolling. So Mrs. Cole at Ackerman junior high school is my favorite teacher. What grade was that? I mean, I know junior high, but what, what grade are you talking here? Like seventh, seventh or eighth. Okay. Yeah. Seventh or eighth. Gotcha. That was an interesting, interesting question. You, I feel like you were ready for that one, even though you have no idea. I wasn't, but, but I'm, yeah, I'm glad it was asked because, yeah, Mrs. Cole. I, I also had another one in sixth grade, Mrs. Musselman. I liked my sixth grade teachers at Yale were all pretty good. Miss, I remember them all. Mrs. Roberts. Did Mrs. Musselman back- take her shirt off after your test and swing it around? No, she did. She like was her, our uh, grandson. Mr. Jacobs, who who was uh, our history teacher, I like Mr. And Mrs. Roberts was the math teacher. Mrs. Roberts actually in the small world of small worlds. When we moved from from Florence to Crestview Hills, actually her house was one street over from my house, and they owned a cab company as well. At the end of uh, right there at the end of fraternity, you know where I'm Did, talking I, about. Yeah, of course. Did they still live there? Or no, have they been? Okay. my 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 my. And again, small world. My daughter bought a house two doors up from where they are, and I don't see the cab company. And I'm going to guess she's passed. Gotcha. All right, we'll wrap it up with this one. Ask any if it's true that after a Kentucky versus Tennessee high school game during the Sean Alexander era, he went out with me and Tom Gamble and climbed over the bar and poured shots for us. That is true. This That's is a very Josie. true story. That's a, yes, indeed. Um, so give us the that, background of this story because this sounds so, yeah, like so you being a problem. We were working for a small radio station in Florence um, doing sports talk, and that's how Tom kind of got involved. I had him come in a couple of times kind of as a guest of mine, and they liked him, and then he spun off into his own show. But um, we also carried some high school games at the time. They sold us going down to Knoxville to Neyland Stadium to broadcast the Kentucky-Tennessee All-Star Game. Sean Alexander was a part of that. I think Mike Yeagle from Beachwood was the head coach of the Kentucky All-Stars that year. So we went down, and of course, the night before, we had ourselves a grand old time, as I like to do on the road on the night before. And we just went into an establishment where waiting for some service and nobody ever came around. I just said, I'll do it myself. I'll, I'll go, I'll go pour these. I'd done this once before at a bachelor party at a place. You don't remember it, but a place downtown called caddies where we were, we were, um, we were in this one part of the bar. It's a bit, it was a big bar. They had numerous like different bar areas. Well, one bar area we were at, there was a girl who was serving for a bit. She left like 20 minutes. She was gone. I'm like, not a hell with this. I was willing to pay. I was going to pay, but I hopped the bar, started to pour a, pour some draft beer into a uh, into a pitcher. Next thing I know, I had two guys picking me up by the back of my shirt and tossing me out the door. I, I earned that. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I deserve that. But I literally said, I'm willing to pay. Where did she go, man? So what happened at this one? Did they throw you Nothing. out? Did they arrest you? Nothing that I remember. I don't think we got rousted, if I remember. We paid. And so, like, how many drinks did you pour for? I, I think mean, it was just one round. I think, we just, okay. I think we just did a round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, okay. we just did a round. 
I mean, yeah. these bartenders have to, I can't think of anything that would piss me off more than if I'm bartending and someone starts coming behind and pouring their own drinks. Well, there's nobody there. I mean, where did you go? Did you go on a smoke break? <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess. Maybe they didn't have a bar back. Maybe they're uh, getting their own beers to replenish. Well, okay. Know. Yeah. I would hope they had a bar back too, but no, there's not. It was like a 15 minute. Nobody there. Where are you? <laughs> Well, thank I'm God willing you to pay for the service. Trust me, I, I'm not a thief, but I come into your establishment. At least somebody can serve me at some point. I don't need immediate service. I don't need that. But we're looking around going, where'd they go? You're not you're not the type of guy that that shows up. And when the server's slow coming out to your table, you start a timer on your phone to see how long they take. Are you? No, I did get mad in a restaurant a while back when it took an hour after we had ordered the food and they never really kept giving us a good explanation to where I finally yelled at a manager. I think I've told this story. It was not my finest moment, but he kept saying, sir, it's a busy night. I said, I understand it's a busy night, but the people behind us got sat after us, served and are paying out. We ordered before they even sat down and we still haven't gotten answers to, if you can just tell me that you lost the order and we have to start over, <laughs> I'm willing. No, it's just busy by. And so I'm like, no, 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 no. No, that's not going to fly. Oh man. The service industry in shambles right now. Trust me, I, I worked in food service. I worked at McDonald's on busy nights as a cook and used to want to kill everybody who was a customer, but I had to go through it because it was my job. I worked at La Rosa's as a, as a, as a cook and as a, as a driver back in college. I, I get it. It's a hard business, but don't lie to me. Just give me the truth of, sir, you know what? We simply lost your order. Okay. It's human being making a mistake. Don't lie to me. That's all. And then yeah, you point, point your finger out. He did this too. He goes, sir, it's busy. You don't have to. Tr-. I'm like, okay, guy. I will All snap right, your guy. finger off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you I, see Fred over there? He's eating your chicken tenders, sir. We yes, actually that, yeah. gave him the wrong meal. Yeah, that, that was again the part. The people behind us sat after us, ate and were cashing out before we even got our order. After uh, we had already ordered before them. Call this place out. Is that a problem or no? That's a huge problem. I'd Thank be pissed. You. Yeah. Thank you. And especially when I didn't get, get a very good answer. Or even yeah. even come on going, sir, you know what? I'll tell you what. You guys want another round of drinks? We screwed this up. We'll take. Okay, great. That's Just how me. you solve the problem. Just give people yeah. a little more alcohol and be like, look, Correct. screwed up. I'll acknowledge the issue. Hey. Here's something for free. Move on. The, the, the night after the preseason game, when a handful of riders, we went down to the Moorline Logger House and just sat down about 12, 15, in the, or 1230 in the a.m. And all of a sudden, after we got our first round of beers delivered to us, the waitress came casually said hey guys you might be here for a while there's been a shooting outside and uh, you can stay here and drink as long as you need to okay that's customers a shooting that's customers sure it's more alcohol yes yeah. yeah hey we've got we've got a little bit of casual street you- violence going on outside our doors why don't you stay in here and have some free beverages yeah it was actually yard house i've gone to both establishments mike but it was actually yard house but well, still to yard house that's, that's good, how you serve your customers. customer service and speaking of customer service again i gotta give a shout out to my folks at the fine speedway down there in covington by the interstate they are the nicest people they're truly super super nice shout out to speedway i used to love speedway back in the day now i don't live by it so i go to udf all the time and they're great too but speedway really really has it going on the one down there does. They are the customer service kings of, of, of fast retail in and out places. The great thing about UDF is they put in gas station egg rolls just like Speedway. So yeah, it's really kind of like the same thing now. I know. And every time I go in there to try to get one of those, they're gone. And I'm, I'm a little – I haven't had a good Speedway or UDF egg roll in a while. And um, I, I got a hankering for it. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've been hammering them recently. It's like my new uh, diet. They're all, they're, with the little plum sauce or whatever, at least a little sweet and sour sauce. Uh, no, no sauce over no sauce? at UDF. But I just grab the pork egg roll and the Coke Zero and go about my day. Yeah, it's it, it it never disappoints, does it? 
It never does. It really doesn't. You got me started on that, and I'm forever indebted. That's all we got. Yep, there you go. All right, Rick, thanks very much. Appreciate the questions as always. We'll be back uh, next week as the Bengals come off a game against Tennessee. The red season, will it be over, or will they be deep in the playoffs by the time we do this next podcast? I know what we're hoping for there. Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly full re-edition presented by Blake, the attorney Basically.